am back guys with a new podcast episode bringing you guys more conspiracies because I know you guys want it so I'm bringing it to you um I have I have been really stuck on this COVID-19 craziness for quite some time now this podcast was supposed to be mostly about the paranormal but unfortunately I've gotten myself caught up in this COVID-19 fiasco so you know what I might as well keep going right So from the start of my research into the conspiracy surrounding COVID-19, I've I've heard everything, every crazy theory you could possibly conceive from aliens are behind it to it was genetically engineered to affect black people more than other races or blacks and Asians more than other races to it's not really COVID-19, it's it's, you know, 5G. 5G is affecting the human body. And what's really happening is people are getting symptoms that seem like COVID-19 and being diagnosed with COVID-19. Oh, man. It just gets insane. <laughs> but I wanted to bring to you guys somebody that I recently heard about by the name of Judy Mikovits. Uh, She's quite new to me. I've never heard of her before yesterday and someone referred me to her but what ended up happening is I went to YouTube, I went to search for her, I found like a bunch of videos that she posts because she has a lot of videos that she posts on YouTube but apparently, not allegedly, sorry, (laughs) apparently she uh, posted a video titled Plandemic on YouTube and that was removed from the platform recently due to uh, violating their political guidelines so YouTube has deemed the information as false and decided that this could no longer be you know put on the platform because it's it's harmful to viewers now I could go into like a long opinion about why YouTube did this but to make it short I think YouTube did it mostly because it was a viral video because there are lots of videos on YouTube or on, um, well, let's just say YouTube, not other platforms, but there are a lot of, you know, videos with conspiracy theories, disinformation, you name it, okay? You name it. And YouTube doesn't take those videos down, but YouTube took this video down because it went viral like overnight. So um, the thing, though, is I don't really like this censorship with these platforms. I, I think I feel like anyways, it violates freedom of speech and freedom of expression. Uh, at the same time, they are companies that have a right to decide what they want posted and how they want it done. So, you know, it kind of is what it is. Anyway, so let's go into Judy Mikovits. And before I read from this uh, page that I found called, uh, I think the website is sciencemag.org. I wanted to say that if my voice sounds like it's changing from time to time, it's really because I have nasal problems. I have serious allergies. 
Um, and occasionally I have to stop reading in order to collect myself, like the, my nasal passages, they're just ridiculous. So sometimes my voice is like really high pitched and then sometimes it's really low pitched, depending on like how bad my sinuses are, I'll sound more low pitched than usual and maybe sound bored. I've had people say, your voice sounds different sometimes. Sometimes it's, you know, high pitch, sometimes it's low pitch or whatever. And I'm like, look, I can't help it. I really, I honestly can't help it. I wish that I could just pause the recording really quick and just like breathe in all that nasal blockage so I can clear it up or whatever or blow my nose or whatever and then read, but uh, I can't. Um, unfortunately for me and the app and the device that I'm using to do my podcast, I pretty much have to do it the hard way, which is stop recording entirely and start back up, which may sound like I'm starting over again. And I found that, you know, that happens to be the best way to do it right now. That or I can just record it some other kind of way and then upload my podcast later. But I'll do that another time. I couldn't wait to get into this. So let's read what sciencemag.org says about um, Mikovits. Okay, so let's get into it. In a video that has exploded on social media in the past few days, viralist Judy Mikovits claims that the new coronavirus is being wrongfully blamed for many deaths. She makes head-scratching assertions about the virus, for instance, that it is activated by face mask. Mikovits also accuses Anthony Fauci, uh, head of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, and a prominent member of the White House's Coronavirus Task Force of being responsible for the deaths of millions during the year, early years of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. The video claims Mikovits was a part of a team that discovered HIV, revolutionized HIV treatment, and was jailed without charges for her scientific positions. Science fact-checked the video. None of these claims are true, and the video is an excerpt from an upcoming or forthcoming movie called Plandemic, which promises to expose the scientific and political elite who run the scam that is the global health system. YouTube, Facebook, and other platforms have taken down the video because of inaccuracies. It keeps resurfacing, including on the Plandemic website, which, in an effort to bypass gatekeepers of free speech, invites people to download the video and repost it. But first off, who is Judy Mikovits? Mikovits started her career as a lab technician at the National uh, Cancer Institute, NCI, in 1988, she became a scientist and obtained a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from George Washington University in 1991. But by 2009, she was, or she was research director of the Whitmore Peterson Institute WPI, a private research center in Reno, Nevada, but she remained largely unknown to the scientific community. That year, however, she co-authored a paper in science that suggested an obscure agent named Xenotropic Marine Leukemia Virus-Related Virus, XMRV, caused Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, CFS. The causes of CFS, also called myalgic, uh, I'm just going to spell this out because it's a little bit of a long word, That's it's spelled E-N-C- 
E-P-H-A-L-O-M-Y-E-L-I-T-I-S, which I'm sure I could pronounce it if I wasn't reading um, so fast, but eh. So had long remained exclusive, or sorry, elusive, and a disease had been neglected by science. The study created hope that CFF or CFS might become treatable with antivirals. Some patients even began to take antiviral drugs used by HIV-infected people, but the paper also created worries that XMRV made, might spread via the blood supply. Other researchers soon questioned the findings, and over the next two years, the paper's claim fell apart. Researchers showed that XMRV was created accidentally in the lab during mouse experiments. It may have never infected any humans. The authors first retracted two figures and a table from the paper in October 2011. Around the same time, a study by several labs, including WPI itself, showed the findings couldn't be replicated. Two months later, the entire science paper was retracted. Mikovits refused to sign the retraction notice, but she took part in another major replication effort. That $2.3 million study led by Lan Lapkin of Columbia University and funded by the National Institutes of Health was a definitive answer, Mikovits said in a September 2012 press conference where the results were announced. The rigorous study looked for XMRV and blinded blood samples from nearly 300 people, half of whom had the disease and none had the virus. There is no evidence that XMRV is a human pathogen, Mikovic conceded. Science News Department, which worked independently from its editorial side, followed this saga closely and published a detailed reconstruction of the fiasco in September 2011. The story won a communications award from the American Society of Microbiology. Around the same time, Mikovits had an explosive breakup with WPI. The Institute filed suit against her in November 2011 for allegedly removing laboratory notebooks and keeping other proprietary information on her laptop, on flash drives, and in, personal email, in a personal email account. She was arrested in California on felony charges that she was a fugitive from justice and jailed for several days. Prosecutors in Wahoo County, Nevada, eventually dropped criminal charges against her in June 2012. Mikovic uh, has not published anything in the scientific literature since 2012, but she soon began to promote the XMRV hypothesis again and attack the Lap or Lipkin study that she agreed had put the issue to rest. She has weighed in on the autism debate with controversial theories about causes and treatments. Her discredited work and her legal travails or travails have made her a martyr in the eyes of some. It goes on to say, now come or sorry, now comes a new book she co-authored, Plague of Corruption, Restoring Faith in the Promise of Science, billed as a behind-the-scenes look at the issues and egos which will determine the future health of humanity, and the viral video which is an extended interview with Mikovits. Science asked Mikovits for an interview for this article, and she responded by sending an empty email with, as attachments, a copy of her new book and a PowerPoint of a 2019 presentation titled Persecution and Cover-Up. So below are some of the video's main claims and allegations along with the facts.
I'm going to read basically the interview and the parts where um, sciencemeg.org discredits what she's saying. Interviewer, Dr. Judy Mikovits has been called one of the most accomplished scientists of her generation. Science says Mikovits had authored 40 scientific papers and wasn't widely known in the scientific community before she published the 2009 science paper claiming a link between a new retrovirus and CFS. The paper was later proven erroneous and retracted. Interviewer, her 1991 doctoral thesis revolutionized the treatment of HIV AIDS. Science says, Mikovits' PhD thesis, negative re uh, regulation of HIV expression of monocytes, had no discernible impact on the treatment of HIV AIDS. Interviewer, at the height of her career, Dr. Mikovits published a block published, sorry, a blockbuster article in the journal Science. The controversial, controversial article sent shockwaves through the scientific community as it revealed that the common use of animal and human fetal tissue was unleashing devastating plagues of chronic diseases. Science says the paper revealed nothing of the sort. It only claimed to show a link between one condition, CFS, and a mouse retrovirus. Mikovits. I was held in jail with no charges. Science says the district attorney in Wahoo County, Nevada, filed a criminal complaint against Mikovits that charged her with illegally taking computer data and relating pro related property from WPI. The charges were dropped in part because of legal troubles faced by her former employer. Sure. Mikovits, head of her entire H. HS, Department of Health and Human Services colluded and destroyed my reputation and the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation sat on it and kept that case under seal. Science says Mikovits has presented no direct evidence that the HHS heads colluded against her. Uh, Mikovits, Fauci directed the cover-up and in fact everybody was paid off and paid off big time millions of dollars in funding from Tony Fauci and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. These investigators that committed the fraud continue to this day to be paid big time by the NIAID. Science says it's not clear which fraud and cover-up Mikovits is talking about exactly. There's no evidence that Fauci was involved in a cover-up or that anyone was paid off with funding from him or his institute. No one has been charged with fraud in relation to Mikovits' allegations. Mikovits. It started really when I was about 25 years old. And I was a part of a team that isolated HIV from the saliva and blood of patients from France where virus Luc Montier had originally isolated the virus. Fauci holds up the publication, or yeah, Fauci, Fauci holds up the publication for several months while Robert Gallo writes his own paper and takes all the credit. And of course, uh, patents are involved. This delay of the confirmation, you know, literally led to the spreading or to spreading the virus around, you know, killing millions, she says. Sorry, I think I kind of butchered that. <laughs> 
All right, so science says at the time HIV or at the time of HIV's discovery, Mikovits was a lab technician in France or Francis Ris uh, Rossetti Lab, or I think it's Rossetti, not Rossetti, Rossetti Lab at NCI and had yet to receive her PhD. There is no evidence that she was a part of the team that first isolated the virus. Her first published paper co-authored with Rossetti or Rossetti, uh, was on HIV and published in May 1986, two years after Science published four landmark papers that link HIV, then called HTLV3 by Gallo's lab, to AIDS. Rossetti or Rossetti's uh, first paper on HIV appeared in August 1995. There is no evidence that Fauci held up any publications of that or that this led to the death of millions. Interviewer, if we activate mandatory vaccines globally, I imagine these people stand to make hundreds of billions of dollars that own the vaccines. Mikovic says, and they'll kill millions as they already have with their vaccines. There is no vaccine currently on schedule for any RNA virus that works. Science says vaccines have not killed millions. They have saved millions of lives. Many vaccines that work against RNA viruses are on the market, including for influenza, measles, mumps, rubella, rabies, yellow fever, and Ebola. Interviewer. So I have to ask you, are you anti-vaccine? Mikovitz says, oh, absolutely not. In fact, vaccine is immune therapy, just like Interferon, I think I said that right, interferon alpha is immune therapy. So I'm not anti-vaccine. My job is to develop immune therapies. That's what vaccines are. Science says in another recent video, Mikovits is wearing a hat that says Vaxxed 2, which is a sequel to a film that links the mumps, measles, and rubella vaccine to autism, a debunk theory. She also repeats several claims made by people who are leading the anti-vaccine movement. In the PowerPoint presentation she sent to science, she calls for an immediate moratorium on all vaccines. Hmm, interesting stuff. Interviewer, do you believe that the virus SARS-CoV-2 was created in the laboratory? Mikovits, I don't use the word created, but you can say naturally occurring if, or sorry, but you can't say naturally occurring if it was by way of the laboratory. So it's very clear this virus was manipulated. This family of viruses was manipulated and studied in a laboratory where the animals were taken into the laboratory. And this is what was released, whether deliberate or not. And that cannot be naturally occurring. Somebody didn't go to a market, get a bat. The virus didn't jump directly to humans. That's not how it works. That's accelerated viral evolution. If it was natural or if it was a natural occurrence, it would have taken up to 800 years to occur. Scientific estimates suggest that closest viral or the closest virus to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is a bat coronavirus identified by the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Its distance is evolutionary or an evolutionary time to SARS-CoV-2 is about 20 to 80 years. There is no evidence that this bat virus was manipulated. Interviewer. 
And do you have any ideas of where this occurred? Mikovits says, oh yeah, I'm sure it occurred between the North Carolina Laboratories, Fort Detrick, the U.S. Army Medical Research Institution of Infectious Diseases, and the Wuhan Laboratory. There's no evidence that SARS-CoV-2 originated at WIV. NIAID's finding of the U.S. group that worked with the Wuhan lab has been stopped, which outraged many scientists. Okay, Oof, this interview goes on. <laughs> Make of it. Um, Italy has a very old population. They're very sick with inflammatory disorders. They got at the beginning of 2019 an untested new form of influenza vaccine that had four different strains of influenza, including the highly pathogenic H1N1. That vaccine was grown in a cell line, a dog cell line. Dogs have lots of coronaviruses. Science says there is no evidence that links any influenza vaccine or a dog coronavirus to Italy's COVID-19 epidemic. Mikovits also goes on to say that wearing the mask literally activates your own virus. You're getting sick from your own retroact or sorry, reactivated coronavirus expressions. And it, if it happens to be SARS-CoV-2, then you've got a big problem. Science says it's not clear what Mikovits means by coronavirus expressions. There's no evidence that wearing a mask can activate viruses and make people sick. Really quickly, before I read the last part of the interview, um, it's possible that what she's talking about is the way that our lungs can sort of create symptoms that are coronavirus-like. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that... At least I heard somewhere that it's possible that your body can create coronavirus symptoms. Um, and I'm not sure how or why, but I'll get into that another time. But that, that could be what she's alluding to. I don't know. I'll move on to the last question of the interview. Mikovits, why would you close the beach? Uh, you've got sequences in the soil and the sand. You've got healing microbes in the ocean, in the water or salt water. I mean, that's insanity. And that, I mean, that was a question, but not from the interviewer, obviously. So science says it's not clear what Mikovits means by sand or soil sequences. There's no evidence that microbes in the ocean can heal COVID-19 patients. Okay, so interesting stuff. What do you guys believe? Do you guys think this lady's a kook? For the most part, the majority of these debunking um counter claims that science is making, sciencemeg.org is making, uh, to me just seems to be unverifiable, you know, information. Like basically we can't verify that what she said happened the way it happened. Um, we can't ver verify that Fauci is responsible for covering up certain information or stopping her from publishing her paper which she claims she published during or she was going to publish during the time um, in her early days of work uh, where she believed she was one of the first people or on a team of people who first isolated the virus HIV. Now, look, I just there's no way to prove that anything that she's saying is true. I've looked at quite a few of her videos. She seems very enthusiastic and very serious about what she's preaching um, so a few contradictions on her part that I did peep out here 
is that she claimed that she was anti-viral, but according to science, there's a video with her. I mean, she's not anti-vaccine, sorry, but according to science, there's a video of her wearing an anti-vaccine hat. And that's, that's confusing. I mean, I would honestly want to ask her if she could clear that up for us. Why is it that you say that you're anti-vaccine, but you seem to be supporting I mean, why is it why is it that you say you're not anti-vaccine? Sorry, but you seem to be supporting anti-vaccine, you know, ideology. Um, let's see, what else did I notice here that I thought was really interesting? Um, she believes that they're going to kill millions with their vaccines, but she also says that there's no vaccine currently on the schedule for any RNA virus that works. Now... Science pointed out that there are RNA viruses on the market. They did not point out whether or not they work. She did not say that they were not on the market. She said whether or not they worked or not. I mean, all science said was vaccines have not killed millions. They have saved millions of lives. Many vaccines that work against RNA viruses are on the market, including for influenza, measles, mumps, blah, 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 blah. Now, they're saying work against RNA viruses. I mean, yeah, but does that mean that it has complete effectivity? You know what I mean? You tell me. <laughs> and I'm going to get into another video another time that goes into vaccines because I kind of want to hear why people that are against vaccines are against vaccines. I mean, I hear a lot of people crying about vaccines and, oh, we're not going to take them and you know, people like Bill Gates are evil because they're pushing vaccines on everyone, but the vaccines are harmful. But I need to know why. What makes a vaccine harmful? I really wish that she could have explained as well why she believes they're harmful. I do think that I thought the part with the mask, wearing a mask activates your own retro, I mean, not retro, but <laughs> activates your own viral expressions like coronavirus expressions and I just don't understand what she means by that I think I might have an idea but I really just don't have an honest clue I think it's a very odd claim um, especially when viruses are supposed to keep us safe from or masks are supposed to keep us safe safe from the virus it's clear I'm tired because I'm stumbling a lot but um so that's all interesting. I can't say whether or not I believe her. What I will say is I have to do more research on this Mikovits lady. Now, I do know that when it came to doing um, doing tests on some of her findings, and I'm trying to think back what um, it is she was talking about. I believe it was the virus or the related virus XMRV causing chronic fatigue syndrome CFS and if I'm not mistaken um, the company she was working for they're the ones who tried to duplicate the findings but couldn't or also claim that the findings were contaminated so they wrote it off and said that it was all you know uh, wrong you couldn't you know and so also whatever paperwork she wrote on the subject they claim was had lots of errors in it and so they wrote it off well understand that she worked for a massive pharmaceutical company 
And pharmaceutical companies are known <laughs> for conducting their own tests and their own experiments. And so therefore, if someone in their own organization is claiming that this and that's happening and it's going to cost them money, um, they're not going to they're not going to go along with it. They're going to do their own test, but they're going to refute your claims. Now, I don't know personally if these pharmaceutical companies that she worked for um, did this to, to discredit her. I'm not sure. I just know that it's pretty typical of big pharma to, to discredit anyone that goes against what it is that well, what they're pushing in terms of vaccines or, you know, because as far as I know, Big Pharma, they're not too keen on cures. And I think if I'm not mistaken, she was talking about a vaccine. In fact, let me go back because, you know, I'm a little tired, but I want to read this really quick and make sure I understand it. Um, A private research center, Reno, Nevada, but she remained largely unknown. Da, 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 da. That year, however, she co-authored a paper in science that suggested an obscure agent named xenotropic marine leukemia virus-related virus causes chronic fatigue syndrome. Causes of CFS, also called myalgic, blah, 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 had long remained exclusive. These have been neglected by science. So they created hopes that CFS might become a treatable or treatable with antivirals. Some patients even began to take antiviral drugs. Well, um, that's the thing. So it seems like Big Pharma, they're interested in um, vaccines seemingly more than they are interested in antivirals. I think that's kind of what she's saying is that there are antiviral drugs on the market that could potentially cure us of COVID-19, but they would much rather go along with vaccines instead, which she believes is more harmful, which I'm, I'm confused about because she says she's all about, you know, immune therapy, <laughs> but then kind of bashes vaccines. So what makes these vaccines so different from what she, what she was doing? Anyway, so lend me your thoughts on this woman. Um, I'm a little tired myself, so I could go into her for a good hour. But I wanted to just run her by you guys. And for some of you who are unable to find her video on YouTube or anywhere on the Internet, the videos do exist. And you may have to find a link in like a YouTube comment section or something. But for the people who find information like this interesting and they're on a search for the truth might be interested in what um miss mikovitz has to say so you know go ahead and do your research and let me know please what you guys think anyway so i'm going to end that there and i'm going to move on from there and when i come back i want to talk about my own personal experiences with the paranormal and why i got into the paranormal personally uh, because I should be talking about the paranormal here. That's what I started the podcast for. So uh, please stay tuned if you want to hear that story. Okay, guys. So I wanted to get into the paranormal because after all, that's what my podcast is about. The paranormal, mostly. I will talk about subjects of all kinds. However, the paranormal happens to be a subject that I'm most interested in for various reasons. 
most of which happens to be from my personal experiences. I've had people ask me why I got into paranormal research, and I'll just make it really quick. I got into it when I was 22. My grandmother passed away when I was 22, and I have a really strange connection with the number 22, and I'll get into that another time, but my grandmother passed away. I was devastated, and I started looking for mediums to give me a reason to believe that she was still around somewhere. Unfortunately, that backfired um, because my phone bill ended up going up towards of like 300 bucks. And my mother-in-law was really, really, really upset with me for it. Um, and she would ask me for years, why did it happen? Why did you do that? You know, she just couldn't fathom the logic behind making a decision like that. Unfortunately, I didn't feel comfortable with her enough at the time to explain that the reason I'd contacted the psychic hotlines and I didn't even take their services. I just called and I asked questions and I just asked, hey, you know, how does this whole medium thing work? And they were telling me how it worked, but I didn't know that my phone bill, my phone line was being charged. I don't know really how that worked if maybe, you know, it was like a long distant number that I didn't know about. And I just honestly, no idea, but... Long story short, I didn't tell her that the reason that I called was to find out if there was any evidence to support that my grandmother was still around because I was really very sad that I lost my grandma. She was like my best friend. And it's hard to talk about, but that's one of the things that propelled me in a direction of researching the paranormal. And then, of course, my brother passed away in 2016 at the age of 23. He was murdered by his relative. Um, and I, I, went, I went on search for answers. Like, I started looking everywhere that I could possibly look for answers. Um, but before that, I had always been interested in the paranormal to some degree, I've always been the kind of person that would seek answers. No matter what I was told, I'd research. I mean, just a brief summary of what kind of kid I was. I, I was indoctrinated into religion at an early age, like most kids, unfortunately. And I was taught about God and Jesus Christ and all this stuff. And, and even, you know, uh, I was taught about the dinosaurs, you know, and all that great stuff. And, um... Whenever I was taught about it, I would go to my local library to research information. So I would research the Bible, what the Bible talks about, because a lot of things just didn't make sense to me. And one of the things that didn't make sense to me personally was the story about Adam and Eve and the garden and, you know, Satan being a snake. And my mom told me that the snake had legs and that the snake, you know, tempted Eve to eat the apple. You guys know that story. And me, as a four-year-old, thought that just sounds crazy. Snakes had legs and it could talk. <laughs> well, you know, and it's weird. You would think I'd been here before. I had this preconceived idea of what a snake was supposed to do. You know, despite the fact that, hey, it could have been possible in this reality, there could have been a history where snakes had legs. In fact, I think there's some evidence that supports that snakes might have 
had legs at one time before they evolved to be like the snakes that we know and and love now some of you hate but i happen to like snakes um so i would always research and find answers uh you know the dinosaurs that was another thing i would research dinosaurs for hours my favorite thing to do was to research and another thing that i enjoyed um was getting science projects so i didn't want the same toys as other kids i wanted like a science project i wanted you know something that i could experiment with i was a very weird kid i would actually trap bugs to study them and i went through a weird phase believe it or not where i was very empathetic towards these bugs i mean i wouldn't just trap them to study them i actually really cared about them and I'm going to say this, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and the entire, I, just everywhere you would go in the neighborhood where I lived in, houses were infested with roaches. You really couldn't get away from it. It wasn't necessarily that my mom kept the place dirty. It was just that there were neighbors with roaches. Roaches had always been there. You know, nobody would, you know, ask the uh people who ran the apartment complex to do anything about it it was i'm not gonna lie it felt like everyone in new orleans at that time existed at a very low level of awareness about anything it was super weird even me at four i thought the majority of people were just idiots <laughs> i'm so sorry to say that but i really thought the majority of people were just stupid but nothing would be get done about these roaches and I would empathize with them. I'd gotten used to them because, you know, you live with them every day. It didn't scare me any that there were roaches. I didn't want them crawling on me, but I would try to feed them, you know, empathize with them, connect with them emotionally. Um, I know so weird and embarrassing to say, but it's true. Um, where was I going with the story? Oh, well, move on from that. So <laughs> that's the kind of kid I was. I was weird. I was very weird, but I, I would consider myself natural at wanting to be a scientist, natural at wanting to be a researcher, and having a natural, um, unique awareness that I think a lot of kids don't have, where I could see myself in the beings of, or other beings. In other words, I had a natural empathy. I can put myself in the shoes of other beings, whether it was a cockroach or a person with um, a disability. I've actually had people with disabilities that I became friends with and I didn't have to. I was a popular kid. Everybody seemed to like me anyways. Um, so I didn't need to befriend anybody to feel special. I didn't have a problem getting boys to like me or anything like that. In fact, they were drawn to me, as weird as that sounds. So it wasn't like I was an outcast but even still, being in the in crowd, I was totally open to befriending people that others considered outcast. I didn't have that problem. To me, I felt like I existed in everybody in some form or fashion. I knew this, but maybe I didn't always practice it. You know, I did call one girl ugly, all right? shoot me I called her ugly I will always regret that I called her ugly she already had insecurities but I only said that because I was insecure um so if I could ever tell her that I was sorry I totally would but that's who I was as a, as a child and 
later on in life, after my grandmother passed away and all that stuff happened, my brother died, um, it just kind of naturally pushed me in the direction of researching the paranormal. But also, I'd had some interesting experiences that happened, one of which happened before my brother died. Um, and the experience was weird. I was in a truck, like a... a Jeez, what kind of trucks were those? Um, you know, like the trucks with the trailers? Well, my husband was a truck driver and he was at a truck stop gas station getting fuel or fuel station. He was outside. I was in the back laying on the bed. It was still daylight, but it was dark in there because I like the curtains closed. But it wasn't too dark. I mean, there was some light shining in there, enough for me to be almost certain that what happened happened. So I'm looking at my phone, minding my own business, and I see what appears to be a hairbrush levitate on its own. And it seemed to sit there like I could see it from the corner of my eyes. And then I turn around to look at it and it dropped. So before I could catch it fall from the height that I could, I suspected it was at, it fell. So I told myself, well, maybe I was seeing things and it fell off of this little, um, I, I don't know what to call it. It's not like a, jeez, oh, what I call it? It's like a little shelf. It was a little shelf in the back. And maybe I was seeing things. That's what I told myself. And to this day, I still don't know. So that was one weird experience. Um, I'll just go into a few weird experiences that I had that pushed me and propelled me into this field of study. Um, I had another experience that was very much based off of intuition. Now, I've had many experiences with intuition. Um, I believe I predicted marrying my husband. Um, and you, some might say, well, it's probably just for self-fulfilling prophecy. But at the age of about eight or nine, one night I just knew and I was able to predict how my life would plan out in the future when I became old enough to marry. And I saw this, you know, olive skin, Caucasian man with dark hair and, you know, light eyes or boy. I saw, I saw him as a boy because he would have been a kid at the time. And I knew that I would cross paths with him at least once and that he was probably in a state close to me like Florida. So I was in New Orleans and conveniently my husband was actually in Florida at the time. So I actually said, I'm going to cross paths with him. One day I'm going to cross paths with this guy, but we're not going to actually meet face to face until I move up north somewhere. And then he's going to move up north. So it's it gets really weird because then I put it in the back of my mind and I was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to worry about it, whatever. Well, the story ended up happening probably exactly like that. I can't verify that I crossed paths with him, but I did end up going to Florida one summer. Uh, I made maybe two trips to Florida, so it's highly likely that I crossed paths with him at least once, but we didn't know each other. We would have never noticed each other. You know, he met, he could have been in a car or something, but then I go to Washington State I move with my family and then I meet my husband and my husband tells me that he'd been in Washington for two years. Now, here's the reason that I think that this 
this man that I married was the same boy that I saw in my vision of who I was going to marry one day. The day that I met him, a bunch of weird stuff happened. I went to get my hair done and um, the lady who picked me up at her apartment. This is a long story. Oh, my gosh. So I met this woman at a salon and she walks up to me. She gives me her card. She's like, hey, I can do your hair. And I'm like, OK, well, sounds like a, a deal. I, you know, my grandmother just passed away. I'm 22 years old, by the way, when this is happening. This is why I say I have a, a close connection to the number 22, because I actually saw the number in a dream one day and then it was following me every since. So I I meet this lady. She tells me where her address is. She's like, she's going to charge me 140 bucks or something like that. Or maybe 40 bucks. I don't remember. And I was like, oh, that's a good deal. I can do that. So I go to her house. But at first, my, my auntie was driving me. So we actually met at the salon where I met her or um, the store, the hair store where I met her. And I had recently cut my hair off like three years prior so I had three years worth of growth but my curls were not like defined they were kind of frizzy and I was like I wanted you know defined curls so she was supposed to give that to me well anyways she shows up an hour late I get into her car and she has a black eye (laughs) story gets crazy So she has a black eye. She tells me her son had beaten her ass before I'd gotten there. Oh, great. Here we go. Well, now my aunt's already gone. She's pulled off and left. I couldn't call her to come back. She's probably already on the highway, like, to another salon, you know, probably 45 minutes from where I was in Seattle. So we get to this woman's house. Her son's there going apeshit. He's like, ah, you know, where's my, where's my gun? Where's my gun? (laughs) And she's like, you know, she refuses to give it to him. He's clearly high off his ass, but he's threatening to kill her. And then he attacks her and all that stuff. So it was really crazy. And uh, that all ended with a cop being there and removing him. Luckily, the cop just so happened to be in the neighborhood and I don't know why this cop just realized that he needed to check in and see if everything was okay. But, you know, luckily he was there because if this guy had found his gun, (laughs) I actually thought I was going to die. Okay, so things get more interesting as the day progressed. She does my hair. She burns my hair off. Practically, she took off like four or five inches of hair. So my hair was like my armpits they were at my armpits and then by the time she was done with my hair my hair was probably like just past my shoulders (laughs) she cut all of it off I was so upset so anyway it gets interesting because what what happened was she was going to take me to my aunt's house or my aunt's wherever my aunt was getting her hair done to meet meet her there she was willing to take me there for free no um, extra charge on gas And I went to the front door. I went to open it. And what ended up happening is the door didn't open. And I was terrified. I was like, well, not terrified. I was like freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, this door won't open. What's happening? And she's like, that's weird. The door won't open. She tried and the door wouldn't open. And mind you, I didn't have I didn't see any evidence of anyone having slammed the door, at least not when I was there. So maybe that might have happened beforehand and it broke the door handle. I don't know. Or the doorknob. 
but she leaves through the back um, back door and she goes to the office to ask for maintenance. So while she's gone, I had this strong sense of knowing, like I always have. Whenever I have that strong sense of knowing, I'm like always right. But I had a that's so Raven moment vision like I did as a kid. <laughs> I had a that's so Raven vision where I saw a tall, dark haired young man walk in. OK, and I knew that that was going to be my husband. And here's how it gets even more weird. This is how it gets really weird. So before I even went to this woman's house, like the night before, I remember thinking maybe I shouldn't go. I don't know if I should trust this lady, you know, but then I felt like, but if I don't go, I might miss out on my husband because I believe it's my destiny to meet this guy on this day. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm in her apartment. I have this vision and it, I put it on the back. I put it in the back of my mind and I say, oh, well, you know, chances are, um, that's not what's going to happen. It's probably going to be some old guy walking through or some blonde haired dude. I'm probably going to be 100% wrong about this. And sure enough, a tall, handsome, dark haired man walks through the door exactly as I visioned him. <laughs> and of course, he starts fixing the door and then he's like, this door is like, uh, this door is, um, haunted door is what he says and I remember thinking oh my god you're so right that's so weird that you say the same thing I was saying before you walked in here <laughs> sure enough we ended up getting married you might say well you already had it in your brain to get married to him beforehand well that doesn't explain how I saw him walking through the door before he did and also his mother happens to have the same name as my grandmother so it seems like there's some really strong synchronicity uh, matched with some strong intuition and even psychic abilities going on here. Uh, but the point of why I brought that up is that was, you know, uh, a lot of the reasons why I went into the paranormal. But the weirdest stuff that happened, um, one particular experience was my cat was, you know, I'm not even going to go into this. This is, this is a whole nother scenario. This is a whole nother story of how I knew that my cat was going to attack me the day before my cat attacked me. And mind you, my cat had never been aggressive previously. I'd always been kind to her and loving to her. She had food on time. She was treated with absolute love and respect. And one day I just knew she was going to attempt to attack me the next day. And so that morning, my husband left. It was six, six o'clock in the morning. And I, um, I didn't want to go into the living room. I usually go into the living room every morning, but I didn't. The thing that got me to get up was I heard what sounded like a very faint knock. And it was weird. It didn't even seem like it was in reality. It seemed like it was uh, a really distant, like light knock. But it was a knock nevertheless that I heard that was clear enough for me to get up. It almost felt like it was in my head as opposed to like in physical reality. But I get up anyways to make sure reluctantly. And of course, while I'm looking through the peephole, my cat is like behind me with her ears back, her claws in the couch. And she looked pure evil. Her freaking eyes were huge. And all I did was I turn around to the side of my cat looking like she was going to kill me. And I just stared her down in the eyes for a minute. And I actually, 
And don't ask me why I did this. This is why I'm a weird person. I am that weirdo. I attempted to communicate through thought. I was trying to use emotion and words to express something to her. And I would say, if you're in there, stop what you're doing. You don't want this to escalate. Stop it. I love you or whatever. And it took her a minute. And then she calmed down. It's like she heard me. It was so weird. I don't know how many people have ever tried to communicate with animals through their mind, but I've always done that. I've always tried to use my thoughts to communicate. And for a long time, I didn't have any luck doing it. But from time to time, I saw signs that, you know, I was actually doing it. Like it was actually working because I realized I couldn't communicate with words with animals because they didn't understand my language. I had to communicate with emotion and intent And so whenever I did that, I saw literal results. You know, one time I commanded um, my cat to stop following me and I was walking and I turn around and I stop. My cat's walking up to me and I said, stop where you are, you know, basically, you know, intenting and emotionally intenting. And of course she stops and she looks right at me and I said, "Okay, you can come forward now. And then she comes forward, You, you know, and maybe that's bullshit. I don't know. Um, Another weird experience I had um, was I, this is when I was a teenager and I was like, yeah, you know, screw this God nonsense. I never believed in um, the Christian God, even though I was indoctrinated into it early. I never really believed in it. I always would do my research. But this particular experience, I was at a Christian camp. My goodness. (laughs) I was at a Christian camp, and long story short, um, I didn't want to be in there with everybody else. The energy in the auditorium was just uncomfortable, and it was a really expensive Christian camp. I mean, you know, middle-class kids or wealthy kids went to this camp. I got a chance to go for hardly anything because there was this weird program where you can help out an urban kid or whatever and, you know, allow them to go to this this. Uh, experience and it was in Georgia so (laughs) everyone was crying and praying and oh I love Jesus ah you know and I just couldn't take it anymore I had to get up and walk out so I get up and walk out it's nighttime everybody's in there crying and stuff and I said if if God's real show me a sign I need a sign okay I really do and um There's this road that was further down, like quite a distance, a little bit of a distance away, but still close enough where I could see it from the building that I was in. This dark road with maybe like a a couple of street street lights or whatever. And I see this dog walking, this big, massive dog walking down the street. And so I did that psychic thing that I was just telling you guys about where I attempted to call an animal, you know, with my head. So I attempted to do it. And the dog stopped. (laughs) The dog stopped. Mind you, I was somewhere off. I was like literally by a tree and it's dark. So like like, there's just no way if this dog's just walking by, like it would have seen me unless I had called out to it and said, hey. (laughs) But this dog, I shit everyone not, stopped, turns around, looks at me seemingly spotted me from that far off in the distance 
and then did did something creepy because I told it to come to me or whatever. So the dog starts walking and it does this weird thing. And I just stood there calm. I didn't freak out because at the time I actually had a fear of dogs. So for the first time in my life, I was not afraid of a stray dog that was massive. Crazy, isn't it? So this dog walks quite a distance ahead down this road, but I start noticing that it turns into uh, the the wooded area where I was standing by one of the trees near the building in like this dark spot. So it goes like all the way around and kind of starts slowly making its way towards me. And that's when I realized the dog's actually coming to me. <laughs> I don't know why it chose to do it that way. But it's coming to me. At some point, it kept getting closer and I realized it's going to come and there's no stopping it. So the dog finally comes to me. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I was stiff as a board. I was shitting myself. This dog was massive. I don't remember what kind of dog this was, but oh, my goodness, his tail was up, everything. So I reluctantly patted on the head. And I was like, hi, (laughs) shaking. And uh, I said, you know, stay right here. So I ran in and I grabbed some food from inside, some kind of snack or whatever. And I came back out and I gave it to the dog and he started eating it. And when the dog was done, you know, it was like that was the validation a dog needed to know that I was his friend. But what ended up happening I thought was funny was uh, some Christian men had came out (laughs) And they were they were mind blown. They're like, oh, you have a little friend here. And they go up to the dog. And the dog goes crazy. <laughs> like complete psycho. And and the guy falls back on his ass. He's like, oh, my goodness. And so another guy comes out and I'm like, you know, shit. <laughs> and the guy's like, I don't understand it. This dog, he he's totally OK with her. But he doesn't want anything to do with me or anybody else. The dog barks at everybody that came out. No matter who came out, he would bark at them, female or male. (laughs) But had no problem with me. So you guys aside, is that a sign that something psychic happened? Because it seems like something psychic happened. And that also propelled me into the metaphysics and the paranormal um, I was I was a really weird person. I was a kind of person as a kid who would try to envision creating balls of energy in the center of my hand. I would never successfully do it. The only thing I could feel was the heat from what I thought was some kind of energy. Um, but maybe that was my imagination. But that was how I that's what kind of kid I was. Um, I would actually try to move objects with my mind. I was never successful. The closest I got was moving a flame. Um, in whatever direction I wanted to move it. And I don't understand why that was easy, but I could never move an object no matter how hard I tried. Um, so it's, it's interesting because on one end, I was always hyperintuitive, had some kind of weird psychic ability that I can't explain. And unlike other kids, a lot of other kids, I was just different in the way that I thought about the world. And I mean, trying to communicate with animals through thoughts. Not very many children try to use their thoughts to communicate with anybody. So, but I did. Um, And I was only most successful with animals. 
Um, and I don't know how many kids try to move things with their mind, but you know, whether I was successful or not is irrelevant, but that's what kind of kid I was. And also, you know, I was a natural artist. So one incident that happened when I was a kid, sorry to bore you guys, but I had an incident where I was um, at school and I was painting and then I was, I'm not painting, I was drawing, coloring some coloring book picture project with like the other kids in kindergarten. And I started to cut out the picture like we were instructed to do. And my teacher stops and she stands next to me with another woman. And she says, wow, this girl is really good. She can color inside the lines really well. It's perfect. And, you know, she she can also cut with precision. And so they seem to be completely like at awe with this. And I didn't understand why until I looked at the other kids and realized they weren't coloring in the lines and they were not cutting their cutout or their images um, with precision like I was. I even have a nephew named Jacob who... I sat next to him for like weeks trying to teach this kid how to cut color inside of a photograph and how to cut an image properly. You know, he just can't. He couldn't do it. <laughs> we were the same age. I mean, not now. I, I was an adult when I was teaching him this. But at the same age, I was able to do it better than he could. And so that kind of shows that I had like a natural knack for art. So I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that I started questioning reality when I realized that life wasn't what I thought it was, that everything that I thought reality was, wasn't so. And it started me on a long, long journey. And a lot of it led me to the extraterrestrial or alien abduction community. And I've been studying that for a long time. And in the future, I plan on getting into abductions and um, what I know about them and how they seem to occur and what pieces I can put together to make sense of it all. But I hope that you guys are interested in hearing that next time. I'm going to actually end the podcast now. But next time, I will talk to you guys about some really cool um, alien abduction stories that... I was given by some people that were kind enough to share their story with me. Um, In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and take care.